Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. This week, we explore how to tell stories as a journalist, which you are personally and emotionally invested in. There's one podcast which many people are raving about at the moment. It's called My Mother's Murder. It's a four-part podcast series by slow journalism startup Tortoise and hosted by Paul Caruana Galicia, who is our guest today. He talks to us about the difficulties and significance of putting his podcast series together. Many of you will have heard of a Maltese journalist called Daphne Caruana Galicia. She was assassinated in 2017 by her reporting on corrupt businessmen and politicians within Malta. Paul is Daphne's son. Through the podcast, he investigates who ordered her murder. It brings together two years of campaigning for justice, archival footage of his mother's work, and interviews with family members, journalists, judges, and more. It reports on all the events that led up to her assassination and the latest developments which continue to shape the story to this day. To say telling this story has been difficult would be an understatement. How do you then, as a journalist, begin to piece a story together which is so close to home. We speak to Paul on Skype after this quick message from the journalism.co.uk jobs board. This podcast is brought to you by journalism.co.uk. We bring you the latest jobs in the media and communications industry. Our job of the week is the senior reporter position for information. To apply for this opportunity and more, visit our jobs board on www.journalism.co.uk forward slash jobs. Paul, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. How are you? I'm good, Jacob. Thank you for having me. We're here to talk about your new podcast, My Mother's Murder. Um, is it is it possible, Paul, to put into words what this story means to you? Ah, I. It's a good and difficult question. And, you know, over the past two years, people have asked me a lot, you know, what my mother's like. Um, can you tell us her story? And it's almost too difficult to put into words. Um, I've written a few pieces for Tortoise about her and her work and our campaign as well. And the one thing that I found both difficult and helpful in the podcast is that you're able to express a lot more when you are recording things, the sounds of things. So we could play clips of my mother's voice, which was important to me because I realized that so many people knew her story, but few of them had ever heard her voice. And we were able to talk to people close to her, you know, my grandparents, my aunt, her friends. So the podcast, I hope, expresses what my mother meant to me and what her work meant to the country. As you said, it's been two years of a lot of campaigning, a lot of press, a lot of reporting. Where precisely does this podcast fit in or bring together some of that reporting? The podcast is really an extension of that campaign. So we talk about her life, the abuse she faced as a journalist, none of which has been accounted for, um, what she exposed and how none of that has been properly investigated by the authorities, and the ongoing political crisis in Malta, which followed her murder and recent arrests. What has it been like being a journalist in this situation, Paul? To investigate a story that you are so personally close to and attached to, 
I can't imagine what that's been like for you. Can you put into words what it's been like? It's been, in a word, really, it's been difficult. Uh, you know, there are there are obvious advantages in that you know the story really well. You know, you can tell it with your eyes closed, especially in recent years. But it's difficult because you have to sometimes confront really ugly details about, you know, my mother's murder, for example, precisely how she was executed, what happened on the day, what my brother Matthew witnessed. These are really difficult things to face up to. Another kind of advantage, I suppose, is that in Malta now, there are a lot of people who are really hungry for justice, who are really tired of how totally corrupt the situation has become, and who, as a consequence, were willing to talk to us, to go on the record, to have their voices heard. And we were fortunate that many approached us, and many did exactly that. I think one thing, though, Jacob, to go back to your question, is that um, at a point, you know, I thought I thought about how to tell this story quite a lot. And I thought this can be, you know, there's a danger that this becomes really sentimental and very emotional and very kind of indulgent in a way. But when I just wrote down the facts as they happen in chronological order, you know, I saw, like we say at the start of the podcast, that this is almost beyond belief. You know, this is this is almost like a novel, like a like a terrible, awful novel. And I thought the best thing I can do is just, in a way, stand back, look at the situation really dispassionately and not get in the way of the characters, the voices, and the facts. Yeah, that, that definitely comes across as well. What also does come across, Paul, is just the amount of effort and work that's gone into this podcast. There's a lot of interviews, there's a lot of archival footage, as you touched on. Just how long did this kind of take to put together, and how on earth did you piece it all together? Well, the first thing you need on a project like this is a really great team of producers and editors. So people who you can speak to about the script, for example. So we had Gary Marshall working on this, who can bring together all that archival footage, who can, you know, weave the interviews into a coherent narrative and really just act as someone who's there and who I could bounce ideas off. And the strangest thing happened when we were working on the podcast. So we were struggling um, about how to start, you know, what launches us off on this podcast journey. And we headed to Malta on the 19th of November um, to do some reporting from there. And we picked the 19th because it was the start of what we thought would be a quiet week so that people would be available to give interviews, meet with us. And then really just a few hours after we landed in Malta, a man called Jorgen Fenech was arrested for murder. So he is now being charged with uh, masterminding my mother's murder. And the podcast really went from there. So we, you know, we were there on the ground for the protests outside Parliament and the Prime Minister's office that followed. We went that day, he was arrested, to the marina to see the yacht on which he tried fleeing the country. You know, we went to some of the pre-trial hearings. And then when we came back to London, we almost zoomed out 
and started considering her body of work and you know really over the third and fourth episodes drilling into the specific stories that provided a motive for her murder. As you touch on there, Fenix arrested, bow out of the blue. How much did that alter the structure of the podcast that you're about to embark on? It altered it completely. You know, at a point it started feeling like it would be what one person called a corruption wildlife tour of Malta, you know, where we just go around the country looking at you know, one scandal after another. At another point, it looked like it might be a sort of biography of my mother, a kind of look at her work over time and how that changed and became more investigative. And then when we were there for Fenech's arrest, it's almost, you know, one of these moments where a story just comes to you and you know instantly what the shape of the project is going to be. You know, the opening scene the motivator for a lot of the narrative. So it changed completely in a way, in a way that we couldn't have predicted, but in a way that I think gave it some more force and gave it this sense, which is true and right, that the story, as we say in the introduction, is still being written. So there's still so much that still needs to happen. And You know, it says a lot that we were in Malta for his arrest, but also for the court hearing in which he was charged with murder. You know, so so it has this very live, immediate quality. And and that's the truth of the story that, you know, the fourth and final episode of the podcast doesn't, you know, doesn't mark this end to the story but it actually opens up a much bigger picture and our hope is that when people finish listening to the fourth episode they have this sense that my mother's story is one they need to keep following not one they know completely after the podcast before any of this these events happened when you were deciding on pursuing this as a podcast was there a moment where you were kind of thinking this is the time to bring all of this together in a podcast why now why do this now the campaign for justice took many forms so my brothers and i have you know spoken to politicians everywhere in brussels strasbourg london washington really anywhere where anyone would listen to us we've also written pieces we've given a lot of interviews and i i started writing about my mother which is something that took me long to do but you know, I thought about it a lot and, you know, writing is one of the few skills that I do have, I think. So I put that to use in this campaign. And then, you know, Tortoise started broadening out its offering and we're now putting a lot more time into podcasts. And, you know, after speaking to Gary and Kerry a bit, we thought this might be a good story to express in podcast form. I, you know, frankly, naively accepted, naively because I had no idea how labor intensive a podcast is. And when you're writing something, you know, you sit privately with your own thoughts and you write and you call and you email people and you meet them and then you send it off to an editor who sends it back to you. And then you get there. But with a podcast, you know, you... Every time you need to make an edit, you need to go back into the studio and you need to re-record something or someone or you need to look a bit more for some piece of archival footage. 
So it's a pretty long and often tedious process. And if you are personally, emotionally invested in the story, it can be really tiring, you know, because you are standing in a studio talking about some really traumatic events and often having to go over them and go over them. Um, but, you know, you if you have a good team behind you, which I did, then you can handle it with sensitivity and with care. And I, in the end, really proud of, of what we produce because it, it does a lot of things, I think. It expresses the person my mother was, the importance of her work, and how much of a threat corruption is in Malta and, and through Malta, Europe. I, I sense that in the podcast, in that you haven't tried to make it about you, Paul. You've, ha- you've gone to a lot of different people and tried to get their accounts on it. Has that been part of the process of separating yourself from the story? It has. It has been part of the process. And in fact, if you had to look at what we actually wrote down as a guide for each episode, there's very little there of me. So I barely come into it. And, you know, that's that's for good reason. That, you know, I wanted to step back and I wanted my mother's voice to be heard. I wanted the voices of her family, of her parents, her sisters, and the voices of journalists who've picked up on her work. And, you know, for every person you hear in the podcast, there are actually about another 10 who we spoke to and weren't able to get on to the final episodes. But there's a great number of people who really, you know, spent time with us, talked to us, were very patient and, you know, revealed a lot, a lot about what's happening in Malta. As much as you haven't as you said, try to make this about you and indulge, make the story sort of indulgent on yourself. Has there been an amount of closure for you, Paul? Has this in some ways been carrying on your mother's legacy for you? I think yes. I mean, in a really, really important way. So I haven't been a journalist for long. So I started working at Tortoise maybe a year, year and a half ago. And I hadn't worked in journalism before then and I started in part to pay tribute to my mother and in part to the extent that I can to continue her legacy of public interest reporting and the podcast I hope fits into that you know I hope it does some justice to her work and what she was up against I hope that people really get this sense of you know, she was really fighting an almost unbelievable level of crime and corruption that in the end killed her. And, you know, it's it's a testament really to her work, to the power of her work, uh, you know, that has now been paused for two years, uh, picked up by other journalists, that... Malta has gone through this crisis, got rid of Joseph Muscat and Keach Gembri and his other aides and ministers, and is, we hope, you know, and we will keep campaigning to see this through, change the country for once and for all. The other difficult parts I suspect for you, Paul, is are some of the questions that you have to ask. And at the end of episode two, there's this, this, this fantastic interview with you and your brother, Matthew, and and you talk, you you ask him to recount recount the event of the car bombing. Here's you interviewing your brother Matthew. 
and I started screaming at them, what are you doing, what are you doing? I tried to take the fire extinguisher from them, and they started trying to tell me, there's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can do. One of them started crying, I remember. And after that, I, I don't remember much. It was around this point that I was calling people. M my aunt came to the scene because she was the first person who I was able to get through to on the phone. And she lives relatively close by. After that, I... I think I got through to my father because I was calling my, my brother Andrew, but he was in a meeting. Then I got through to Andrew. Then eventually I got through to you. Okay. Thanks, Math. Yeah. It's okay. No, this is really good. I'm, I'm sorry you have to. No, yeah. don't worry. It's important to do it. Yeah, I know. It's okay. It was clear to us from day one that this was related to her work. Well, it sounds like you hug him at the end and you say it's important to talk about these things. Has that been the, the drive to push past some of the pain for you? To accept that we need to be talking about these things? I think yes. I think, look, it's, hard, it's really hard to imagine, but we were an incredibly private family. You know, I had no real presence publicly i i didn't use twitter i didn't write anything i never interviewed anyone i never broadcast anything about myself but then we realized that you know if we don't speak up then someone else is going to do it for us at worst get it wrong um or uh you know really corrupt the narrative about my mother which the government started doing initially and which is what threw us into this campaign and very early on, we realized we just have to put ourselves out there. We have to start talking about the abuse she faced, as painful as that was for us. So at least that you control the narrative? Well, not so much control, but get the facts out there. So there weren't, for example, many people who knew that my mother had faced abuse from the day she started writing, you know, first arson attack, I was six years old, you know, then another major arson attack. So it was really about presenting the facts that her assassination, really as abhorrent as it was, and, you know, it seemed like a bolt out of the blue, was actually the culmination of three decades of abuse. And, you know, we knew that because we grew up with her, we lived with her. We saw it and experienced it firsthand. So unless, you know, we got out there and told that story, then no one else would. In, in personal terms, Paul, um, thinking about the, the stories that you will go on to tell in your career, I mean, this is going to be up there probably as the biggest that you'll tell in terms of personal importance. The question in my mind is, is why did you want to tell this with Tortoise, considering that they are this new startup? They have this different kind of approach to journalism, this slowed down approach. Has that in any way kind of shaped how you've told this story? Has that really come through? I mean, there's been, as you know, Jacob, a lot of coverage of my mother's story. A lot of it, by necessity, very newsy, you know. So something happened, you know, some new discovery, some horrible fact from the murder trial, from the murder proceedings. It's harder to tell that story that... She started out 32 years ago 
you know, from day one faced this really awful, unrelenting abuse, exposed all that she did over that career, and um, was up against these incredible odds. And you need the space and you need the time, I think, to tell that story. And I hope that comes through in the pieces that we've done and in this podcast as well. And one of my biggest kind of fears about it was that people would just feel like they know the story already when there's so much actually that hasn't been told or that they would kind of tune out after the first episode when the second, third and fourth, they really sort of grow in importance. And I I mean, it's it's a strange thing for me to think about because I haven't worked in journalism anywhere other than Tortoise. And maybe, you know, there are... A number of outlets that really do provide the space for this work but you know I'm at Tortoise and I think the approach to news we take here is something different and I can say that for my work it has provided me with that space with that time and with that team to do some work that I am really incredibly proud of. Mm. Is there, a, is there a particular part of this story which you're just pleased to be able to get out there because of this format, because you've been given the space with the, the four episodes, the sort of 30, 40 minutes long? Is there part of the context here that you're just pleased that is allowed to breathe and speak for itself? It is. It is exactly that. So the, you know, the third and fourth episodes really get into her work and they, they almost tell the story behind her stories, you know, how she got her information, and then the stories about the journalists who pick up who picked up on her work after she was killed and you know how they how they developed her work and where it got them. And I thought that's you know that was quite a special moment because it it really expressed her legacy and how many people she inspired and the last thing the ongoing impact of her work. But for me personally, the most important parts were episodes one and two, where we talk about Malta, the country that shaped her and her outlook and her body of work, and what she endured as a result of that work in episode two. And just because you touched on it then, um, by the time this podcast goes out, you would have just released episode three, can you give us a sense of really what is to come in these final two episodes? I I really hope that people keep listening right through the end. And in episode three, we sort of lead up to the specific story that caused Joseph Puskard's government so many problems. It almost brought it to the brink of collapse. And we now know it did bring it to collapse. We spent time outlining the corruption and the crimes committed by his officials, you know, the scale of it, the intricacies, and how my mother was expressing those issues. In episode four, we almost loop back to Malta, which you'll remember is where we started in November when Fennec was arrested. And we pick up on some of those changes that are taking hold in multi-society, which are totally unprecedented. So we see the emergence in Malta 
of civil society, which is something that has always been really weak, you know, really undeveloped. And now finally, it's a country that was beholden to two main political parties, to a corrupt government, you know, one term after another. It's finally breaking free of that trap. And we leave open where the story will go. And, you know, we talked about this already, but the premise is that one of the major difficulties is that it's a story that's still being written. And my hope is that people, you know, will take off their headphones after episode four, put them down and say to themselves, you know, Jesus, I can't believe this is happening in a member state of the European Union. I can't believe so many of these crimes are still unresolved. I can't believe what this journalist has been through. Paul, I can't wait to listen on Thursday, I'll tell you that, and I can't wait for episode four either. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you about the podcast. Um, terrific work, and you can count on my listen when the, uh, when the podcast come out. Thanks so much for your time. Great. Thank you very much, Jacob. Lots of powerful messages there from Paul. And I just really admire this idea of when you are personally invested in a story as a journalist, just letting the facts speak for themselves. I'd like to thank you at home or on the commute for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to the journalism.co.uk podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to jump on the podcast with me, shoot me an email to jacob at journalism.co.uk. We are running our next Newswide conference in Salford, Greater Manchester on the 4th of June 2020. You've got just over a week left to take advantage of our early bird offer, which will save you £50 on your ticket. Visit newswide.com for the full details. But that's all from me. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Until next time. <laughs>